P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning and welcome. It's a bright, sunny day here in California, and I have a guest from California as well. Mr. Steve Morrow from Simi Valley, California. He's a private investigator um, down in that area, Morrow Detective Agency. And he is a graduate of the Nick Harris Detective Academy, which has been around a really long time and has done great work in training private investigators. Welcome, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. Um, we're going to be talking about your specialty, which I, I believe is criminal defense. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, I'm not really a man, but that's okay. It's just my mother's home teaching that, uh, that, that, that kind of sticks with me from time to time. <laughs> okay, I got that. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, so, Steve, how, how did you get in this business? Were you in law enforcement before, or how did that go? No, actually, um, it's something I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the, I guess, the, the weird lot. I had wanted to be a PI ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, after reading, you know, a, a couple of novels, one in particular by Walter Mosley, um, right. Easy Rollins. Right. Um, it, that had really inspired me to, you know, really want to take a go at it. Um, I had a fortuitous meeting with a local private investigator that actually taught at Nick Harris Detective uh, Academy as well. And after that, I just went to school and then went to Nick Harris. And, you know, the rest is history from that point. Just learn from different folks the, the things to and not to do at times. And, um, you know, in 2011, I had gotten licensed and decided to pursue it, you know, full-time for myself. That's, that's terrific. So when you were, when you're at school at Nick Harris, from what I understand, they actually are sending you out on jobs. Yeah, they would uh, send us out on cases, um, everything ranging from, you know, a cheating spouse to... You know, um, I, we even worked a, a defense case for a homicide uh, that had taken place out in Santa Monica area. And, you know, pretty much it was just you would, you would be there to see how they interviewed folks, how, uh, you know, there's some of the databases and things and public uh, records information sources that they utilize, you know, to, to find out information or to find people. And, um, you know, it was very hands-on. You know, there were things that, I learned there that I would never use um, because, you know, like debugging <laughs> and all of those right. things because I don't really do right. that as much as often. Um, but all of it was worthwhile knowledge for sure. 
Well, yeah, you're, you need to be exposed to it, but not necessarily to be the kind of work you do. There's lots of specialties in, in the private investigation world. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I enjoyed the process because for me, it allowed me to identify the things that I could do well at and um, go out and be able to actually help people instead of just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what's stuck. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with you. Uh, so did you work for other private investigators to get your hours? Yes, I did. Um, I started off you know, working, uh, doing a lot of surveillance work, which usually there has to be, usually there's a tendency to be a lot more of that uh, than folks that are out there trying to hire for criminal defense work or, or, you know, family law work. So I started doing insurance work and then luckily had met with other investigators that were hiring and willing to give me the opportunity, you know, to, uh, to learn and to work other type of cases. So I actually ended up working for folks longer than I needed to <laughs> because I wanted to make sure that I learned how to do things right uh, before I went out to the public on my own and, you know, to try to get business and help it folks. Ha- actually makes a lot of sense. So did you work for an agency that specialized in criminal defense or how did you get focused on criminal defense work? So one of uh, one of my old mentors, actually from Nick Harris, um, had one of his primary specialties was criminal defense work. So he had allowed me to, uh, you know, to apprentice under him for a little bit, um, and that's really where I started getting kind of my feet wet. And then I actually came across a book called Uncovering Reasonable Doubt, um, which mm. you know, by Brandon Perron. For sure. Um, and this, and this was a while ago before he had started actually offering the courses for people to learn. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had read that book, broke it apart, sat there and, and really, you know, just bought into his methodology on how to, how to do these type of investigative, um, the investigative approach for this type of work. And, you know, for me, it ended up being, yielding a lot more success. And uh, really just putting things in an organized way to get things done efficiently. So you're talking about Brandon's component method. Is that what you're using? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yeah. So, you know, since you mentioned Brandon, let me just say that uh, Brandon Perrin has uh, a training Mm, I guess it's called a company, training anyway, uh, Criminal Defense Investigators Mm -hmm. Training Council, that he offers training throughout the country on um, all kinds of things. I mean, he has forensic interviewing, he has um, criminal defense, he has this, what uh, Steve's Mm -hmm. talking about, Uncovering Reasonable Doubt. Fabulous course, if you ever get a chance to take it, sign up because you won't be uh, disappointed. Yeah, I definitely, I did take it. Um, I took it a couple of years ago, I believe, and um, it, it was definitely worthwhile. And, you know, I, I did graduate the course and everything. So it, it, I definitely would recommend anybody out there, you know, that is seriously wanting to do criminal defense investigative work, um, you know, to take it because it will help them. It's helped me significantly. 
Great. What did what appealed to you about doing criminal defense work? For me, um, I remember when uh, it's like a personal story. I'll try to make it short. No, it's okay. Uh, I remember we have time. when I was. <laughs> Uh, I remember when I was a teenager in particular, um, I had, I was walking home from, at the time, my girlfriend's house, and it was later, and I got sat on the curb, and uh, the police came up, sat me on the curb, and I was on the curb for like 45 minutes. And um, I, had my, I have a, a relative that's law enforcement, and he had always told me, you know, when you engage law enforcement, just tell them who you are. Uh, your name, your date of birth, don't give them your social security number, all these don'ts, but here's the things you do. So I did just that. At the end of getting talked to and sitting there, um, I asked the officer, I said, you know, what did you pull me over for? And the officer was like, oh, we were looking for a stolen vehicle. I was like, but I was walking. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm trying to understand here, you know, why, why I'm trying to suspect when you're looking for a stolen vehicle, but I'm, I'm walking and I live two blocks away from here. Um, mm-hmm. But in my mind, that had left an impression because what if they decide to pull me in? Mm-hmm. What if I got arrested for something that I had nothing to do with? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't have the resources financially. You know, I was just a kid to be able to... Uh, to, to fight that type of case. Um, and it just, you know, it, it, it left an impression on me that made me want to make sure that when I got older um, and, and hopefully into this field, that I would be able to help folks that are in that situation that didn't get lucky or just, you know, whatever. Um, right. To, to, right. You know, I was fortunate that I had an uncle that told me how to, to conduct myself. But there's people that out there that have no idea whatsoever. And right. I could have said something unbeknownst to myself that would have gotten me in trouble for something right. that I didn't even do. And what did they do with your girlfriend, Steve? Oh, I'm sorry? <laughs> what, what, what did they do with your girlfriend when they stopped you? What, you, well, you were with your girlfriend, right? Well, she, I had just walked her. Yeah, I had just walked her home. So oh, okay. here I was, you know, I was, we had went to saw a movie, um, you know, 10.30 and 10.30 is a curfew, but I was, at the time, I was 18 years old. Uh, uh-huh. So, I, you know, curfew rules didn't apply to me, but I had walked her home, and I was walking back. And that's when I saw the unit come up and then, you know, make a U-turn, and I, I already knew, like, oh. And that's another thing, like, getting that, that sensation of fear and all these things, because I'm like, oh, I'm, I didn't do anything. What's going on? You know, and... um yeah, it, it just it was definitely had left a lasting impression on me to this day, and that was gosh over over twenty years ago at this point because I'm going to be forty wow. soon. Wow, um, you know, and it just it, it had definitely had left its mark on me, and could have been one of those situations that quickly escalated, as we've seen all over the country. Yes, it could have, um, and and definitely I was just. I was fortunate enough my, that, I, again, I, I have family that's in law enforcement, so they had always preached to me about, mm-hmm. you know, moving slowly, making sure my hands are always clear, uh, not appearing agitated, 
mm-hmm. answering just specifically the question that is being asked and asking for a guardian or an attorney asking if I can go, if I can't go, then am I arrested? <laughs> if I'm arrested, yeah. then right. you know, I'm not going to talk until I talk to the attorney. But I have friends that didn't get that. They right. never were taught those things. So they end up saying something that ends up, you know, getting themselves in, in trouble for things that they may or may not have had anything to do with. Right. It doesn't take a lot, unfortunately. No, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, ma'ams. <laughs> All right. So, um, well, go ahead. I was saying, you do a lot of criminal defense work. What, what was the thing that had gotten you into it? You know, I fell into it. I just, uh, I was being trained by a private investigator and I was so mm-hmm. wet behind the ears. I didn't know anything. Um, and the attorney that was our landlord said, I hear I have these two cases. Um, and he handed it to me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, were, they weren't difficult cases, but, they, but I'd been in retail. Okay, I'd been in retail, and okay. I was dealing with young white girls that were stealing the company blind, and having you know mm-hmm. having to bring in somebody to get confessions. And I saw it's the first time I'd ever been to a jail, and I thought, wow, you know. And and these guys were straight up. I mean, they just told me what happened, and whatever it was. And I thought this is refreshing because <laughs> I'm used to these girls <laughs> denying their complicity and and these are guys african-american guys from the hood and they're just mm-hmm. saying what happened mm-hmm. and i thought hmm i you know i i kind of like this so that was that was 30 some years ago and uh yeah and and you know brandon we talked about brandon before brandon teaches and I think this is absolutely correct. You will, I think you'll agree with me on this, is that criminal defense investigators and attorneys are protecting our Constitution, are protecting the yes. Sixth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Eighth Amendment. That's what we do. We protect people's rights. Yes. And Yeah, you know, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, and you know... Um, I, I think people, the general public, sees us as sleaze bags. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> you know, they you know they ask you why you do this work. How can you possibly do this? How can you defend this horrible creature? And the reality is, most de- criminal defendants aren't bad people. They got in a bad mm-hmm. situation. They got with a bad group. Mm-hmm. You know, the wrong group. Uh, Something happened, it escalated, and there you are. I, I've, right. I mean, you... you, you yeah. Put, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, you know, right, because you take, like, even an instance where you have a teenage kid that's hanging out with some buddies, and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, they decide to go to a party, and maybe the kid goes out into the car, and the next thing you know, two of his buddies get in a bad fight, and somebody ends up getting really, really hurt, and they take off running right? because of the incident. Now, the kid that really didn't have anything to do with it, per se, may get charged mm-hmm. if somebody, you know, unfortunately dies or something was taken from that party as a getaway well, driver. 
And as you know, the law just recently changed. If you were part of a situation mm-hmm. where somebody was was killed and you were there, you would be you would be charged along with the person that was the shooter. The felony murder rule. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. has changed, fortunately, because many times uh, something happens and a person reacts and the guy or the girl that was with him didn't have anything to do with it, really. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm really happy that that rule changed. Yeah, <clears throat> me too. I mean, it's I definitely I'm glad to see that things in, in, in criminal justice are um, you know, it's starting to to change in, in, in positive ways. I know some folks don't necessarily agree with certain changes that have taken place, but mm-hmm. I think when you think of, when you look at the whole picture of why um, right. and, and, and what, I, I think they will, will agree that the ends hopefully will justify the means for this. Um, well, you know, and, and I, like... Like your situation, it changes the landscape if you're the target. Mm-hmm. It, it changes it, everything. Your perspective definitely shifts. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I'll, probably the world knows that I was arrested once. It was very public in 2002, something I didn't do. Mm-hmm. But it was ugly. It was very ugly. And uh, uh, it makes you sit up and take notice and realize what happens to other people that uh, don't have any support. Yeah. People sometimes forget, like, or not even forget, maybe they have an experience that even when you're 100% innocent, mm-hmm. you're still that fear. You know, there's still that fear of, wait, what if, you know, they don't see it the way it is? Or what if, you know, this person decides to lie and say that I did this even though I didn't? You know, right. it's like there's so many different variables that fall in line that folks sometimes don't uh, necessarily grasp because they haven't been, you know, fortunately for them, right, they haven't yeah. been put in that position. Absolutely. And and I can tell you my experience, um, the person that was talking to the police was lying, outright lying about mm-hmm. me. And I was mm-hmm. I was astonished. And, and you know what? I, I mean, I had a reputation. To, I mean, I was a professional, you know? And so you'd think that wouldn't mm-hmm. happen, but it does. And you were, and you were just a oh. kid, just walking down the street, mm-hmm. minding your own business, going home, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and it happens all every day, every day, every day. So, um, so... It, may, it makes those of us that have been had that kind of experience very passionate about um, making sure the facts are correct. Because it's all about facts. Yeah. It's not it about really speculation. Is. And, 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 you know, no, it's about what, what, what they call it, uh, verifiable facts, right? What we can, we can present and, and can be shown, hopefully it shows the whole story of what, what happened. You know, and, and to add on to that, it's like, you know, when, when people try to say, well, you're working for the wrong side of things, it's, we're, we're really not. It, you know, it's like it, everybody has the right to face their accuser. And God forbid, you know, you, you, you're put in a situation where 
this is happening to you and nobody is out there advocating for you and you're absolutely 100% innocent. You know, um, so okay. that's kind of how I, I deal with it, that criticism when folks have directed toward me on how can you defend somebody that is the accused of doing all these things. It's like, well, they're accused, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, if we do the investigation and it, and it finds out that the person did do it, our investigation is not going to help this person. It's just going to prove that the, the facts are what the facts are. We don't make the facts up. Right. So if we do an investigation and it, it, it digs a person deeper in a hole, which has happened. It does you know, it's happen. Like, you lied to me about this. Mm-hmm. What, I'm sorry? <laughs> yes, it does happen. We sometimes yeah, go on a lot of does, uh, right? wild, <laughs> wild goose chases. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so in, in essence, we all we're really doing is just hoping to make sure that the system is working the way it's supposed to. Right. That if there's right. anything out there that proves reasonable doubt, that it's shown. So that way this person can get the opportunity to have their day in court without getting you, railroaded. And if you look at the thousands of cases that have been overturned because of somebody's eyewitness testimony that they got wrong or now mm-hmm. they have DNA and they found out that this isn't the guy that they thought it was and he's been in prison for 20 years, you know, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's a game changer. It really is amazing. It is. So, it really is. I, and thank God for DNA. And then also you think about even the people that were pressured into giving a false, uh, you know, they, they, they saying falsely that they did it because they were scared. Right. You know, you, know I, you, you look at things like that. It's it's very difficult for me not to be critical of the police because I, I know they work hard, they do their job, but unfortunately, not all departments are on the up and up. Some of them do a good job, mm-hmm. some of them not so much, and mm-hmm. and and they're actually trained to work their theory of the case. So whatever the theory is that comes up initially is usually the trail they follow. You probably, you know, we, we find that out as we do this work. And sometimes, sometimes they have blinders on. And, you know, I had a, I had a guy that was actually tried three times, got a hung jury three times before they decided to dismiss the case. And he, he was, this is this guy was innocent. There's, you know, there was he was caught up. He he lived too close to the crime scene. <laughs> so when you triangulate the cell phone, it comes up that he's by the crime scene. Well, he lives like half a block. So, oh wow! So this went on for years. Three hung juries. Can you imagine they were going to go for another trial and finally dismiss the case? And this is the, he's the greatest guy. Um, he's just, he's turned, you know, he's made, made hay with, with the life he has now. And two young children, a wife, mm-hmm. and just having, just really having a ball out there in the world. So, you know, that's what, when you work really hard on a case like that and it, you get a result like that one. Because in this case, the district attorney was out to get him. He was out. The district attorney 
this particular district attorney, it was not about justice. It was about winning because he needed a stripe on his shirt. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. It's, it's, it's I mean, very but, unfortunate. Yeah, but there's a, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, that is across the board. It isn't. You know, I support mm-hmm. these prosecutors that, that do their job. But when you have a situation like that, where they're uh, just on a rampage to get a conviction, uh, it's and and this is a person who has that reputation. So anyway, on another <laughs> on another note, uh, so what would you say, Steve, is the most surprising case you've ever worked on? The, surprising the as to, as to how, like, oh my God, this just happened, or great no, result or, <laughs> or or how how the case evolved that because you know a lot of times we get cases i mean we're the same thing as we work think the same thing as the general public we get a case or we see it on the news and we'll go oh my god how did this happen how did this person do this you know we react too well this case um a, a case does come to mind, and I, it, it didn't start out as a criminal defense case at all. It actually was a child custody matter. Um, and a client who is then at the time wife uh, decided that she didn't want to be involved with him anymore, all fair. But she had gotten back with a high school sweetheart, but she refused to tell my client anything about the guy and was taking the, their kids, their minor kids, around the guy. And well, my client started hearing rumors that the guy had recently got out of prison, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, long story short, I had to try to figure out who this guy was. But I involved telling her, you know, over to um, this guy's house, running everybody through to figure out who the guy is, then running a background check on the guy and finding out that, yeah, he was in prison for some pretty, pretty, you know, violent crimes. Um, so the guy, I get this information from my client, judge's orders that the kids can't be around this particular individual. She ends up breaking the orders because I follow her to a different county to meet up with this guy with the kids in the car. About a month after that, after I presented my report and they go back on an ex parte notice to court to, to you know, get new orders, the, the lady and the, the guy end up being involved in the shootout with the police. Oh, no. About a month later. Yeah. And the guy ends up taking off and was a fugitive um, from the police for about a month or two. And he was in the, you know, he ended up being found in a different state. But, um, yeah, that was a very surprising outcome for that particular case. Wow. And it was, you know, from something that for me just started out as just trying to get a background investigation on somebody. That's crazy. <laughs> that is really crazy. So what happened? What happened to the woman? Anything? Um, she ended up just being a person that was just driving the car and he was the one that was shooting. So she ended up actually, from what I understood, being able to prove that she know what was going on. Uh, mm-hmm. She didn't know that he was going to engage you know, law enforcement in this manner. And so she pretty much was just afraid for her own safety right. and got the hell out of Dodge and later on turned herself in after she let him go. 
or after he took off or whatever. So yeah. she, from what I understand, there weren't any charges drawn up against her hmm. um, because probably because she became extremely cooperative at that point. Right, probably. You're right. We have to take a break, yeah, Steve. This is yeah. really interesting. We'll be right back uh, with Steve Morrow. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is Steve Morrow. He's a California licensed uh, private investigator, and we're just talking about the ins and outs and ups and downs of criminal defense. Um, so, Steve, uh, that was uh, a really amazing result. <laughs> you start out doing a background check and find out uh, that somebody ends up in a shootout. That's uh, that's pretty dramatic. Um, so, um, how do you market criminal defense? cases or, or investigations. How do you go about doing that? Um, so lately, you know, I've been trying to change my, uh, <laughs> my marketing material specific to criminal defense work, where beforehand mm-hmm. I had went more so towards family law, um, you know, general type of cases. I, I, I now I'm just really, as I'm reaching this part of my career, I find that I really want to do a lot more of this work, uh, especially with social justice issues being so close to my heart. Um, so I've been trying to just go specifically for these attorneys that 
do just criminal defense work. I've also am trying to get on to some of these panels. Uh, actually, Mike Spencer had told me about some of these panels. I didn't even know about them uh-huh. uh, that go and, and give you work specific, uh, you know, that, that give you basically indigenous cases or, or overflow work from the county. Um, so I'm, I am actively pursuing trying to get myself more of that type of work. Uh, hopefully it'll be more, I want to take in about 80% of uh-huh. my cases be criminal defense and still do 20% of everything else. <laughs> but okay. it's been yeah. a slow, low buildup for me. How about yourself? You know, I, uh, I was really lucky, Steve, uh, <laughs> cause I'm a really, I'm an old person. So in 1988, um, I decided put together a pitch book. I put together brochures and a letter and my business cards, and I started walking down the streets, which you can't do any longer. Um, but mm-hmm. and I just knocked on attorneys' doors, and I got one client that day, and the rest is history. I've never marketed again. I mean, it's it's incredible because really, all you, you know, you make connection with one attorney in this business and if you do a good job for them mm-hmm. they talk they talk uh, exactly now we have, yeah word of mouth is only key <laughs> yeah exactly and now we have the internet and we have all kinds of technology and all of that I, w- I wanted to tell you that I looked at your website Steve it looks fabulous I I mean oh, I was really <laughs> I was really drawn to the organization of it and I uh, how long have you had that one up I've actually had that, and I, I got to give credit to uh, my cousin designed that website for me, so I can't even take uh, credit for it, so kudos to him. Um, but I've had that website now for about, I want to say about four or five years, um, adding things in, of course, as, as business needs come up or as, uh, you know, this, our, our, our industry is always changing in right. regards to the different technology and stuff that's available to us. But thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment on the website. <laughs> and and what kind of response do you get? Do you? It, it seems like my website is more like a, when somebody contacts me. It's more of a confirmation of who I am. Do you get business from your website? You know what I'm finding? I get more business, to be quite honest with you, uh, through like what you had said earlier, through uh, attorneys mm. referring other attorneys over to me, and also through Yelp. Um, Really? In Google. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but Yelp, I, I'm, I'm finding I don't get as many attorneys through Yelp as I get more of the general public, you know, folks that are calling because of custody issues or, you know, they think that their house has been bugged or, you know, th- those type of, of, of cases usually filter in more through Yelp. Um, my website, it, it, it does get standing up on, on Google and everything, but I haven't really had anybody say Specifically, it was my website that got them to call me. <laughs> yeah, well, and and so that kind of verifies my experience as well because I, I think attorneys specifically depend on referrals because they don't necessarily trust what's out there, you know, in the public forum. Uh, so they, they kind mm-hmm. of depend on referrals from their friends. And then what happens is they look you up. So it seems like it's more of a confirmation of 
okay, I heard about this person. I'm, I'm thinking about hiring him, but let me check him out first. So mm-hmm. I think that in my, the, the in my trust situation. Trust but verify. Trust but verify. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so a good website is important, I think. Uh, a, a good-looking website that's well-organized um, is very important today, in today's world. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is, right? Because it's what they're going by, you know, what, what, your, what your presentation is. And I try not to put too many pictures of myself out there. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely needed. <laughs> I don't know why. As far as that goes. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So do you ask attorneys for referrals from other attorneys? Have you ever done that? I have started recently, um, especially for the criminal defense work. Um, in the past, you know, it's, 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 it's been kind of weird, right, because COVID kind of, at least mm. for me and, and a few of the investigators that I, I, I carry on relationships with, I, I know that their business has been up and down, right? right. So sometimes even asking attorneys for uh, referrals, sometimes their doors aren't open because the courts are shut down and things are getting stalled. Um, right. But recently I have been, uh, especially since I'm trying to get myself more, you know, into the criminal defense work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it used to be you could kind of hang around the courthouse and get introduced to people. Well, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> we, had, we had an experience uh, on, uh, on Wednesday this week, on Wednesday this week, uh, the attorney and I had a, a new, he's a court-appointed attorney like you're talking about, court-appointed attorney, and mm-hmm. he got assigned this case. Well, it turned out the guy wasn't in custody, so we couldn't get any information on him. And um, the we don't have the information from, from the prior attorney, so our attorney wanted to meet. Mm-hmm. This is a totally a COVID-related thing. Our attorney wanted to meet at the law library a half an hour before the hearing, and just to get acquainted, <laughs> find out what he's charged with. We didn't <laughs> weren't even sure what he was charged with. It was all convoluted. So got to the law library. The law library was closed. Doesn't open till nine. Okay, so the attorney says, well, go to the basement of the courthouse. And then he calls me back and he says, oops, they've removed all the chairs from the basement of the courthouse. And so he said, meet us on first floor. So we went to first floor, came nine o'clock. We went up to the courtroom. The courtroom's closed. It's video only. There's a big sign on the door Mm -hmm. that says there are no in-person hearings. It's video only. Well, here we are. The attorney's uh, an older guy. He doesn't even know how to use the Blue Jeans program or Zoom. <laughs> so we decided to go up to the DA's office on the ninth floor to, to find out who the DA is because he didn't even know who the district attorney was. We did that. Mm-hmm. We asked him if they, we could sit in their lobby and do the, the hearing. She said, yeah. If it's not too noisy, well, then she came back and said, this isn't working. <laughs> so we ended up going back to the law library, which is now open, and uh, getting a room and go, logging into the hearing. It was, it was a riot. I mean, it's signs of the times. It's like, right, the, the nuances of, of working through COVID. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> all the all the <clears throat> facilities that were available to you that you knew about don't exist any longer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the- <laughs> I, I, I even had a, a case where I had to try to go down to LA Archives, and I drove. I accepted the case. Right, not thinking anything right. about it, and I drove all the way out there only to find out that they're not letting people in. <laughs> right, and you know, <laughs> so it's like now you have to order things online, you have to make phone calls, and now something that took, you know, maybe an hour or two hours of time now it's taken months to get a document back from the county. <laughs> right, and I don't know whether you had this in in L.A. or you're in L.A. County, right? I'm in Ventura County, but I'm like oh, right Ventura on County. the border of LA County. Okay, you're mm-hmm. Ventura. Okay, so so what happened in in our area, it, which is Alameda and Contra Costa uh, counties, what happened in our area is they'd have black boxes, big black boxes at the at the door of any courthouse, and if you were ordering records, you had to <laughs> leave it in that black box, <laughs> and and it was actually pretty. Uh, efficient. I mean, they did get back to you. Uh, you know, first few times I did it, I thought it, I felt like I was putting it in some kind of a black hole, and I'd never see it again. But they were, they did, they actually dealt with it. But you couldn't go in the courthouse, and there was a guard at the door. There was a, you know, a deputy at the door, and and they looked at you. You have documents, black box. <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's been so strange. It, it is, uh, you know, I had, um, I mean, I think they, they have racks out at, at LA Superior Court where they, they kind of put your documents out there and you just hope <laughs> that a strong gust of wind didn't blow it off. Um, Rat, like you know, open it's gone racks? In the ether somewhere. They're like open What's racks? That? They're like open? Yeah, it's an open rack. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. you're kidding. Just those ones with rollers on them and, and it, they're out in front of the courthouse and, you know, there's like a little yellow sticky with your name on it and you know you grab your stuff and and you go um and you like i said before you just kind of hope and pray that if it's you know if it's a if it's just one piece of paper you're like i hope it doesn't fly off uh somewhere oh my gosh but crazy. yeah I, I, it, it it is i mean I'm glad at least they're giving you black boxes here in archives I, yeah, in LA County. Uh, I'm now thinking the black box is a good idea. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, now I mean, I would I would love a black box because I, I waited for one case that was an immigration case uh, for a client, and she just needed to prove that uh, you know this particular individual that she was married to had gotten a divorce back in 1970 something, uh, mm-hmm. and what normally would take a day or maybe even two, three hours to, to grab and get. Literally, I was on the phone every week on Friday, sitting on the phone for an hour trying to figure out when these folks would be able to get to the record. And it took two months. I, so, not an unusual story either. And, and, I, and I guess what it boils down to is it's really tested all of our investigative skills because it has been a, a process of trying to figure out whatever you needed to do and get it done. It's, it's mm-hmm. been amazing. But, you know, on the other hand, I think I've learned some skills I didn't have before. I've learned some places to oh, yeah, look that I wouldn't have thought of. What, what, are, the, what, are, what are some of those? <laughs> oh, oh, just, um, 
You know, a lot of times you you see, say, on a association list serve, where do I get the information to serve the these records? Well, you know, you can Google mm-hmm. it. You know, most thing, most actually questions that you see, you could actually uh, Google it, or you could uh, call a court clerk, or you could do all kinds of things that maybe I didn't, I didn't do before, because I just went to the source, which we could, was no longer mm-hmm. available to us. So you know, it just. Uh, it's just our new normal, our new way of doing things, and uh, we'll see if it ever goes back. I doubt it. I doubt if it will, personally, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, I know. I, I, go ahead. You know. Oh no, I was just saying. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's gonna gonna ever not fully ever go back to the way it was. Well, I think a lot of people like, for instance, the video. Uh, hearings, I think a lot of people like that. I think a lot of attorneys, for example, can do virtual hearings. They don't have to go to the courthouse and sit around waiting for their case to be called. They can work from home. That That's a real benefit. Now, listening to those, have you ever been on one of those hearings? <laughs> yeah, I've been, to, I've been on a couple of them. <laughs> well, you know, it's just like any... You know, it's just like any Zoom call you've been on or any Zoom training. It's like, unmute yourself. Uh, we can't see your face. And, you know, put your video mm-hmm. on. You're, you're muted. <laughs> you know, it's, it's exactly exactly the same as, as what we experience when we're on a video training and or uh, somebody speaking. It's, it's really funny. And... To the judge's credit, they're really patient. They are really patient. Yeah. Yeah, they have been. You know, I just, I just find myself having those thoughts like, okay, is this, does my desk look organized? <laughs> right. <laughs> Am exactly. I looking presentable enough? Because this is different. <laughs> it is different. I'm doing and- this from, from my office, you know, making sure. And I have one where the kids were, I have kids. And they were still home um, because of COVID and everything. And I'm like, please don't be loud in the background because I'm about to get sworn in and I have to <laughs> tell the judge what happened. And then I have a, at the time she was five and she, she happened to knock on the door. She's like, can I get a pop tart? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, Yana. Um, <laughs> my kid needs a pop tart. Um, <laughs> the judge was very cool about it. He started yeah. laughing and everything, but it, it is weird. It's, it's definitely different. Well, and, but one thing it's done is it's humanized everybody. It's really humanized everybody. It's, it's not as formal. I, w- I was in, there was an in-person hearing that I was at recently, and it, that was really strange because the attorney was on the video. The defendant was in the courtroom. And the witness was in the courtroom on the other side with an interpreter. <laughs> and, and, it, and it was it was a circus. It was a circus. But they got through it. So the, they got through it. And uh, so, so it's the defendant's just, attorney was was on via uh, via video. Right. So he can't even nudge him if he needs to right. say something extra. Exactly. They can't talk to each other. And he, and his face oh, is on wow. the screen. It was it was uh, 
Yeah. It is a, a different world that we're living in. <laughs> There's been a lot of uh, weird situations like that. But uh, So, uh, Steve, what – so since you haven't been licensed a whole long time, you're still kind of – feels like you're finding your way. What advice do you have to up-and-coming uh, private investigators-to-be? Um, I would tell them to immediately identify the things that they, they feel that they're efficient at um, and market those. You know, I, I, I find now a lot of newer um, investigators have a tendency to just kind of try to get whatever they can. Mm-hmm. And also to, to really research what the market value is of the service that they're providing. Um, because another thing new, newbie investigators I found do are uh, is they they seriously undervalue, you know, their level of what their service and what they can, you know, and what it's worth. Um, Agree. So I definitely, you know, I definitely encourage them to call around, you know, and see. Uh, and, and if they're not comfortable asking directly what an investigator is charging, then for lack of a better term, act like you're a potential client and ask them how much they're going to, you know, they're going to bill you for the service. So that way, then at least mm-hmm. at bare minimum, you're doing what the market can bear. Um, because I found folks that I'm charging, let's say, 125 an hour for because they're brand new. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but you may even, even be better at this particular niche than I am. Mm-hmm. And you are undercutting yourself and undervaluing, you know, the service itself. So. I would suggest that they stick to the things that they're good with at first. Um, research how much the the service you know really is worth, and um, also you know uh, join some of these groups like Cali or Pika or you know these these investigative groups that can get you networking. Look on the social media sites and see what networking groups are out there as well. And once you feel comfortable enough, maybe write about some of the things you've been through. Uh, in hopes that it will inspire or teach somebody else how to do, you know, it, what it is that you do. Actually, that's really true. And and you wrote an article, which is how I found you in Pursuit Magazine. And I love the I love the title of the article. You said it was called Gladiator, uh, talking about criminal defense. So that's a that's a great marketing technique because now look, you're on PIs declassified. And people are listening to <laughs> yeah. what you have to say. So it's kind yes, of a domino well, effect. You. <laughs> you know, it's kind of dominoes. You know, you do one thing that results in another thing. And uh, you get your name out there. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and another thing, you know, I would add to, um, to the newbies is if you're afraid to accept the case, don't be afraid to call out and maybe ask another investigator who's worth these type of cases you know, and see if they're, they're able to, to come along and, and help you. Um, right. I turn, you turn down stuff, of course, that just doesn't feel right, but don't mm-hmm. turn down something because you're afraid that you won't be able to do it. Get somebody that can. That's the, that's the beautiful thing about being able to network. If you know that you're not good at it, ask another investigator that has a reputation for being good at it and see if maybe you can tag along. and It might be at a reduced fee. For yourself, but you'll still be able to 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 move forward, you know, and um, and learn hopefully a, a, a valuable t- tool for yourself. 
You know, it's really it's really good advice too, Steve, because in the old days, um, investigators didn't help each other. They, for some reason, were afraid their secrets would get out and they wouldn't get any more business. But I think today, investigators really help each other. They really uh, want to see other investigators succeed. And uh, that's very, mm-hmm. really helpful to everybody. Yeah, and that, I'm, any newbie that's listening out there, please feel free to reach out to me um, if you ever do have any questions or anything, because I, I definitely want to see folks go out there and, and be able to provide for themselves and learn and, and be of some help to society in some way. Exactly. So, you know, we're almost at the end of our show, Steve. Uh, I know it's, it's gone really fast, but um, <laughs> do you have any other, do you have any other case that you want to talk about that uh, uh, was a uh, great result for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll leave off with one uh, criminal defense case that I worked. Um, I had a client, he was 18 years old. And he and some buddies decided to go out and rob a bunch of um, Metro PCS, Cricket type of mobile um, stores, mm-hmm. which, you know, they, these stores usually don't carry that much cash. Right. Um, but they went ahead and decided to rob them all out in the L.A. County area. Eventually, they get caught up. There's a police chase and everything, and it's on the news and everything, and they get caught up, and charges of armed robbery mm-hmm. are, are put against them. Now, some folks may not know, but the difference between armed robbery and robbery, especially in California, there's a gun enhancement. Right. And that, that, that weapons enhancement is more significant time. So... I had to watch my, my client swears that there was never a weapon, that they would just place a, a, a note on the, the counter, basically demanding money, indicating that there, there may be, you know, violence or they may have a weapon or what have you um, in order, of course, to, to try to get money out of the people. Um, I ended up having to watch 50, over 50 hours of surveillance tape uh, from this, these different robberies that they did. And I did not ever see a gun. In fact, one lady realized that they didn't have a weapon and chased them out. You know, she, she grabbed something yeah. and chased them out. Oh, um, wow. So, you know, Steve, obviously I'm, this client, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt. We, I, we're going to get cut off, I'm afraid. So the end oh, result. No, it's okay. The end result of <laughs> the, the case. The end result was. Yeah, the end result was there was no weapon, so that particular charge got dropped off. Um, the client did go to jail for the robbery charge, but not armed robbery. Huge. So the Huge distinction difference. is that's why it's good that we do what we do, because sometimes overcharges happen. Typically, overcharges happen. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> As my experience. <laughs> Sir. (laughs) All right, Steve. Thank you. You've been a pleasure to talk to. uh, And I hope to see you in person one of these days. Likewise. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right. And for the rest of you folks, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. 
Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 